What's up, people? We'd like to welcome y'all to our brand new episode of the Less of a Man podcast. We got the whole crew in today for a very exciting episode. But of course, we want to start this with our mental health uh, check-in. So I'm just going to go around the room. Edward, how's your mental health? EJ. 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 I'm never going to do that. Never going to get it, man. (laughs) You know, I'm doing good. You know, uh, it's been crazy. Fast week, a lot of stuff going on. Um, Just trying to stay in there Um, physically tired um but it's good you know no complaints ready to get to business excited about this topic yes yes and you sure i'm doing fine but i just can't take no more bad news this day i mean it's just too much going on in this news people unexpectedly dying yeah it's been a rough it's been a rough week rough Rough year yeah yeah when is it gonna get when is it gonna stop that's all (laughs) but other than that i'm fine can't complain really, but can't complain. No. What about you? I'm sorry. What about you? Ro? I just looked. You just looked at me like I was supposed to know you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. my bad. All right, well, um, it's been a good week. Uh, long week. Had to deal with um some protest stuff, but other than that, it hasn't been too bad. I'm just tired. Ready to get you're this going. Tired. tired. Well, for my week. My week hasn't been bad. Uh, I watched the interview. Nas' album came out. He's one of my favorite artists. And he was on The Breakfast Club. And I just noticed something. I appreciate a guy who can't grow facial hair. So <laughs> I enjoyed he that. Like he it looks like he can't grow facial hair. And I appreciate that. Because you can't grow so facial hair. Yeah, just repping for me. So inability to grow hair on your face makes you feel better. No, it's just repping so. for us. He feels like us. he is like... So, he's understood. He's yes. Not, like, so like, I'm like, he's much older than me and he can't grow it. So, you know, so it's all right. Representation. Representation does matter. Does matter. Uh, <laughs> I think that should be the theme. Representation matters. Yeah. But also, <laughs> also, Charlotte, what you were alluding to, I think hearing the news about the past, and especially Chadwick Boseman, um, every time I see a celebrity pass, I think about like, man, this guy followed his path and for what he was kind of here for and actually did it mm-hmm. and so for for someone like me who's still trying to figure out what that is i kind of admire somebody who does that so i always that's when i'm thinking like when celebrity pass even like kobe or nipsey hustle john thompson i'm like these guys had a purpose in life and they followed it and i think life is about trying to figure out what your purpose is so that's how i view it when when they kind of pass mm-hmm. would you agree? yeah i think for him he really did live like he was dying, and that's kind of what, because he knew, and he just said, I have a short amount of time on this earth, and I need to maximize this time and do what I need to do, because when you think about the amount of movies he's done over the time that he knew he was dying. Yeah, the four was, years that he knew. was absolutely amazing. So, And also, just think of the impact like Black Panther made. Mm-hmm. Like, for him, like, this is why it's kind of a huge deal, what you're saying, like, for the, especially for the black community, what that represented at that time. You know, it was it was powerful, man. Mm-hmm. It, it was, was huge. It was a movement, huge just, film. Yeah. Um, and I think not only you know his role in Black Panther, but also like his life and how he spoke and mm-hmm. what he represented and how he carried himself um, really was in line with where we needed to see like positive role models for Black kids. Like you, right. you listen to the you know interviews, you listen to his speeches, you look at you know, how it was portrayed, like, it's always in a positive light and always, like, such a really good example for young kids to aspire to. And then I think with that role with the, you know, Black Panther, that was just, like, 
a, a monumental film for black people mm-hmm. to see that we could be right. heroes, superheroes. Right. Because we are represented throughout, you know, um, superhero land, so to speak, but not to have a movie of that magnitude. Yeah, and then comic books are not very diverse. If you kind of look at it, when the, especially the old times, they're not very diverse. So for us to have that big and what that meant, I thought was, was, was huge, man. But on top of that, the movie was really good yeah like, i mean it's a marvel good. movie it's gonna be good anyway you know, but just, it, was a great yeah. movie. it was a great movie i mean marvel's yeah. movies had movies that weren't yeah. great i mean the thor first two weren't great movies i, I, I like the first two movies and that's fine so then maybe they made it just for you but yeah that's that's fine <laughs> but you have to say also like not everybody are comic book fans and i think everyone you know from our culture whether you love comic books or not embraced this film so it kind of went beyond just a comic book it was almost like a cultural movement no it was a cultural and it's going to whoever because i've seen some people say that they want this to be the only black panther uh, film that's not going to happen they're going to make a black panther 2 they've already um okayed it they already green light black panther 2 and i was just thinking man the person who has to replace him yeah that's rough and it should not be michael b jordan though I, well, the funny thing is, I thought Michael B. Jordan, but you can't do him anyway because he was in the first one. Yeah. So um, I was, I was saying, Zuri just propel her into the limelight now because I mean, she did become Black Panther at one point. She does, but but how do you explain that? I think you still need to um, still continue his story because Storm is still a big yeah. person in the Marvel universe. But then, who are you going to get to replace him, though? That's but you're going to. The problem is, he's going to be replaced. I mean, it Right. If you don't even look at like the past of anybody passing, remember when we were kids in the Batman movies, it was always it was Michael Keaton, um, George Clooney. Like it was 007. They had different actors play. So it's gonna happen, but whoever takes this place is is gonna be extremely difficult. Yeah. So uh, speaking of difficult, so we're gonna try to have uh, this (laughs) We're gonna have a. We're gonna try to be very responsible and empathetic to have this conversation um we're a little different than other podcasts that kind of have this conversation because we have our resident um person who is in law enforcement as one of our members but you know i think for black people's relationship with police officers it's always been rocky it's never been like a really good relationship even when it's kids and how you're taught i know me growing up in stone mountain there was always this place pine lake and my mom will always tell me, especially when I was driving, do the speed limit of Pine Lake. Make sure you go to Pine Lake, you get out because the cops are racist there. That's what, you know, she would always tell me. And even before I learned how to drive, she gave me the book Driving While Black. And I couldn't learn how to drive until I finished this book. So what I'm saying is black people always had an apprehension with the police. So we kind of want to just dive in to it and you know just get a better perspective but i wanted to start off raw um why don't you tell the people what made you go into law enforcement well what really made me go into law enforcement was the same thing that we were talking about earlier representation matters so i grew up in new york and law enforcement is a predominantly white profession especially in the north so you have a lot of white officers in your community and you don't see too many black officers 
you don't feel like you're being represented correctly. And I felt like I wanted to do that because I always felt saw law enforcement as a noble position, but I also wanted to be in the neighborhood that I grew up in, in the neighborhoods I grew up in. You know what I mean? Like mainly black people and dealing with black persons, people of color all the time. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty much why I went into law enforcement. You said you always saw it as a noble profession, is that what you said? Yeah. That's interesting because I don't yeah. think I ever did. Well, I don't think growing up I, I saw it as that. I kind of did because um, I'm from the country and we knew who our cops were. Um, so they were family they were family in certain cases so i didn't really have that fear for policemen until i came to the city so and that's that's my story that i always tell that i didn't i've always like brought and said thought of cops as being your friend so this so what did something happen in the city that made you it's not that something happened in the city it's just that i guess my mom i guess haven't been because she moved to georgia before we did I guess her experience at that point kind of, and even the people that she was living with kind of prompted her to kind of prepare us for the possibility of being harassed by police officers. I mean, overall in my life, um, I've had positive experiences with cops, except for like one time. But other than that, my experiences with police enforcement have been positive. Yeah. Yeah. I then, um, yeah, my, I mean, I had a couple of different experiences with, um, law enforcement and police. Um, the town that I'm from originally, um, it's predominantly black. It's Springfield, Tennessee. Um, and where I live, they actually ended up moving the police station right in the middle of that area. Like they literally took over a duplex and they created a um, police station there because there was so much crime um, in that oh. area. So that was a very different experience than when I was living on military bases, which I think also military police, it's a completely different dynamic. And there, I, I didn't feel threatened by military police. I don't feel like they are shown as giving or using it as much excessive force or kind of right. as like um, what we are seeing now a days. It was right. just a very different, like it was never like, um, I never felt like they were scared of me so i felt like you know they were comfortable with policing the areas that they're policing because they're used to it you know military you have a lot of different um diversity there you get a lot of different experiences going through a military training and then going into police for there so it's a very different kind of dynamic now living in pennsylvania a completely different experience than living in the south again it is mostly white people and from where i lived in carlisle um, and Carlisle is uh, surrounded by a lot of different areas that are in that in that area of Pennsylvania known as being kind of racist. So it's like it was very different. And that I think when I lived in Pennsylvania, that's probably when I feared the most for myself, only because I knew how um, the area was. And yeah. so, you know, if the area is kind of racist, then you also would think that law enforcement will have that. Well, yeah, absolutely. And Rob, were you saying something? Uh, I completely forgot. You completely forgot. <laughs> um, well, I think uh, the the problem is also because this is what I tell people: like we could sit here and we can talk about any event, and of course, people will argue about all oh, what this black person did to for this outcome to happen. My problem is 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 two two sided road, right? The cops have been abusing their power for decades, for years. 
So we didn't, black people didn't wake up and just was like, you know what, profession we're going to fear, this one. Like, there have been stories. I have personal encounters. I'm, I'm assuming you had a personal encounter, of EJ. Uh, Raw, do you, you, I think you had a personal encounter? Yeah, I, I grew up doing the stop and frisk era, so. Oh, yeah, so definitely just stop and oh, frisk. Wow. So I'm saying yeah. that we have, so I'm, I'm perplexed when people act like, we just hate cops just to hate cops or i mean we don't hate cops but you get what i'm saying we're just angry at cops just because and acting like no it might not be you rawdon but they have some responsibility of why they're here so why we're all here and the relationship is the way it is i wanted to ask you how do you how do you feel about you know everything that's going on the protests um the negative views now to a cop being a police officer also being black Kind of how is your view of everything that you're seeing now? Um, so I get the whole aspect of having a, being black and having a negative perspective towards police. Kind of, I mean, you think about civil rights, you think about, you know, the crack epidemic, you, you think about, you know, the way that certain communities are policed. Um, I get it. Interactions happen that are always not pleasant. And that, you know, can be determined a certain way. Uh, some officers have in the past and probably will continue to have abused their power because not everybody does their job the right way. Right. Um, so with everything that's been going on, because it's been a tough year, and like I said on the last podcast, I got to a point where I had to delete my all my social media one thing is, I am a black man, and I don't look like a police officer outside of work. So, I'm subject to everything else that could happen. Then, on the other hand, I am a police officer. So, I have to look at both situations objectively. I'm left to look at it as being black, and I'm left to look at it as being an officer. Knowing what I went through, and the training I have, and plus my life experiences as a black man. So it becomes tough at times where you have to balance both aspects where you have to be like, well, you, somebody's going to be mad at you either way. Yeah. Your, your opinion, if I give my opinion as being an officer and understanding why certain things were done, somebody would be mad at me. If I give my honest opinion of being a black man and how I felt things should have been handled, somebody's going to be mad at me. So either way, I, I still have to have that balance. And... For me, I'm just going to tell you how I feel. And I'm going to look at it through both both lenses, and I'm going to give you an honest answer from my opinion. And I don't speak for every law enforcement officer. I don't speak for every black person. I just only speak for me and how I would feel about the situation, how I felt the situation should have been handled or how it was handled. So out of curiosity, um, do you feel like you catch more um, crap from being a policeman of being a black man, and <laughs> I catch more crap being a black officer. Oh, oh, all together. Yeah, all together. <laughs> it's a combination. Yeah, yeah. I've been called a race and traitor. Say I'm enslaving my own people. Uh, it, it, it's, oh, you're the no. What about uh, uh, when what she say? You're the type of cop that kills black people. Black people. That was black. Awesome. Y'all yeah. me. Yeah, I was like. <laughs> I didn't even do anything. I didn't even say anything to that woman. And then literally, and you get all those things that people throw at you, and you just take it, 
keep moving. Take it and keep moving. Because at the end of the day, you have a job to do. And you can only do the job to the best of your ability that you can do it at. Everybody that says anything about you don't know you outside of what they see you at work. They, they don't know me personally, so I can't take anything they say personally. Like, I've, I've been... I've, I've had some stuff put on Facebook about me. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Can you share? Sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to hear this. This is when I was still on patrol in Zone 1. This, uh... So, so I, I, I like... I, people don't know what Zone what, 1 what is. Zone, yeah, what Zone 1 is. Zone 1 in Atlanta is on the west side of Bankhead, where T.I. talks about all the time. Um, so, this had, so, this post was posted... It was either it was early this year or late last year, and I didn't get to, I didn't see the full post at first. I just knew somebody came in my my um private messenger and said eat shit pig. I was like, whoa, okay, the person's mad. So I saw the post. <laughs> the post said I stopped. They, they do not like me. They have respect for the Atlanta Police Department, but they don't like me because of me stopping them. And traumatizing them, I was like, "Whoa, what the hell did I do?" I mean, I, I really had to sit back and think, "What did I do?" So then I they kept reading the post. The post said, "You know, um, I made them miss their father's funeral. They were in jail for jaywalking for five days." I was like, "Yeah, sounds like me for stopping for jaywalking, but I don't remember lock. Don't, don't remember locking people up for jaywalking unless you really piss me off." And that's very rare. So I went, I found the name of the person, I looked up the report. What they neglected to say in that whole post was they got locked up because they had an outstanding warrant. But now I'm the bad guy. Because they didn't post that in yeah. the in the caption. So. Yeah, that dude actually, actually had a warrant. So he crossed the street, um, not using the crosswalk, so I stopped him. He had a conversation with him, asked for his ID, got his ID, ran his ID, realized he had a warrant for a suspended license. And that's when I arrested him. But none of that was in the post. So you pretty much left that part out intentionally. Right. So you left all that part out. Like, I mean, I get it. I stopped you for a petty reason. But it was very petty. But it's still against the law. You said something that caught my attention is, and I think that's what probably a lot of people are typically concerned about. You said that you were pissed off. Or sometimes you get pissed off or something like that. He oh, said yeah, he wouldn't people. have sent him to jail unless he pissed him off. Yeah. Right. right. I mean, it's still an arrestable offense. Okay. But I don't normally do it unless you really, really piss me off. Because okay. it's petty. It's a really petty reason. Hmm. So, and, that, and that's how I went back and read the report. I was like, oh, so I locked him up for a warrant. Oh, okay. That sounds more like me. <laughs> So, okay. said, oh, that's more like me. Because nobody gonna like. I don't think people gonna like that. <laughs> yeah, nobody gonna like that response. But it wasn't that <laughs> I locked him up for. I ruined his life because I locked him up for crossing street without using a crosswalk. It, he did not. He drove on a suspended license. Got stopped. Got a ticket. Didn't go to court. Didn't pay the fine. Had a bench warrant, and then crossed the street without using a crosswalk. So, at some point, you get a whole accountability. Okay. So, I guess my question to you then, because he used 
a situation and then he didn't say the whole thing because he knew the response that he was going to get but what as a as a police officer and i'm going to let y'all answer as well what do you think is the relationship currently between black people and the cops it's not good i mean it's not good. It's all we've always had a mistrust for police officers yeah. and, and and since recent events happening around the country it's really not good at, at one point it seemed like it was getting better or somewhat to some point but then events happen and now we're back to the beginning so you're saying like all the what we were building up to has been completely it's over it's kind of like we're starting over from yeah absolutely from the very beginning absolutely. so how about you guys who are not law enforcement of course how do y'all view it i don't think we ever start over and i think i've had this conversation with daryl and i've probably said this to you guys also is i think policing runs parallel with racism and it's been a part of our um, make up with this country for centuries. Like even if you go back to slavery, there was always policemen that was actually chasing slaves, runaway slaves, to even Jim Crow to civil rights. So that's always run parallel to slavery, to racism, and we never atone for our sins for that. And because we haven't atoned for our sins for racism, is why we still have so many issues and mistrust of black folks with regards to policemen. And we just have not dealt with that issue head on. And I think until we deal with that issue, we're still going to continue to have that mistrust in policemen. Um, My question is, how would you deal with that issue, though? I mean, there have been countries who have atoned for their own... For their sins, absolutely. I mean, mean, in the way you do it is take it head on. Like Like Germany with the Holocaust. Germany took head on their their issues with um, the Holocaust. They don't they, acknowledge the Holocaust. They do. They when do you, acknowledge they the Holocaust. Do it. They, they, you, it's taught in schools in terms of what happened. We can't even get our schools to even talk about... Black history. Even black history. Or even have a, a accurate depiction of what happened mm-hmm. with slavery. Or so, we're arguing over Confederate statues yeah. and Confederate flags when that was a premise on white supremacy. Like, we can't even agree that this is white supremacy and they need to come down. Yeah. And yeah. it's embedded in our society. So I think the, the way we start to work on that is to, as a country, not just black folks, acknowledge the fact that we have an issue or a history of racism, systemic racism in our country, and we need to move as a country to move in the direction of fixing that. And right now, our country is divided and going in every direction they want to go, right. depending on wh- where they fall on the spectrum. So until we can even get to the point where we can even agree that there's racism in our country, we're never going to get to a point where we're actually going to be able to move forward or black folks have police trust in the policemen. So do you believe, do you think that's more of people being on different sides of the spectrum because they don't want to have open, honest, related um, conversations I, and really have hard conversations about what is needed to be done? I think at this point I used to believe that, and I'm, I'm sorry, um, but I really believe people know what's wrong and that they're intentionally choosing not to address the issue. That's where I'm at with that. Because you can't have a situation with a 17-year-old boy with an AK, I mean, AK-40, what is it, AK-15? AK-15. Walking it the was sh- an assault rifle. Assault? AR-15. AR-15, I'm sorry, AR-15. Uh, but to your point. Was it assault? It's it was like a military yeah. grade. Yeah, but walking the streets during protests and no one does anything, but then we shoot 
a black man in the back seven times under the suspicion of having a knife. And those are the disconnects that we're having with our country. Where, why, and this is what black people are constantly asking themselves, why are we treated one way when we feel like others are treated differently? And it's because of that history that we have in our nation when it comes to racism. It's my opinion. I don't know. No, I, I agree. What about yeah, you? I do think it's a volatile relationship that we have, especially right now, considering what's happening. I think if you look at it on both sides, there's tension on both sides, right? So we have to try to look and try to understand why things are happening and the state of where they are right now. I think on one side, black people are just tired. Like, we're tired of excessive force. We're tired of, like, an overpresence of mm. police officers in areas without actually giving us opportunities to change the dynamic of what's happening in our communities. We're just tired of being overlooked. We're tired of not feeling like people understand our reality or gloss over it. Um, we're tired of people not acknowledging that there is still racism and that the system is not built to include us in it for us to be successful part of community. There's not great reentry programs in a lot of places, so people are cycled back into a system of violence, a system of um, being incarcerated, a system of broken homes. Um, on the other spectrum, I think that we have the police officers who are also upset. They also feel a certain type of way of having to continue to uh, incarcerate people, lock people up, uh, feel like that they're being attacked. I think, yes, it's a people issue. At the root cause of it, it's a people issue because we have people that believe a certain way and people that believe that black people are less than. But we also have an entire like system built on that premise right a lot of laws are targeting really do target black right. people if you think about it like the laws that are built about the crime bills and about you know um tough on you know crime bills or things like that they're not targeting white areas yeah like stop and frisk in New stop York. and frisk they're, they're targeting black areas with black people um and so it's just like a cycle of that and i think that's where we are and people are, have had enough that's why you see the riots. that's why you see the protests that's why you see the social um injustice or whatever like that everyone's just at a point where they're done just trying right. to gloss over and move forward no you're right and i think that what we're all saying is that with black people we just have a mistrust for the police, and it's not only police. Police officers aren't the only system we have a mistrust for. We we mistrust. We don't trust the uh, government. We don't trust the medical field. That's why a lot of us um, kind of don't go. But I thought you brought up as Kyle Rittenhouse is the the young man, and he was a 17 year old in Kenosha, uh, Wisconsin that shot. He shot three protesters, killed two, and um, from the story what I read, because they charged him for first degree murder. I personally think he will get off on first degree murder. Oh, absolutely. Um, if you see the story, he can he has a legit defense of self defense. He has a legit of for the crime for the the uh, the not the mob but the crowd attacking him. Even on the second shot, he's on the ground and the guy hits him with a skateboard. Mm -hmm. So then he shoots, but he also after he shoots, even the first shot. He's putting his hands up. The first shot, he's calling the police himself. The second shot, he's putting his hands up and three cop cars pass by him. So I think this is what, what Char's kind of getting, and Rob, I'm going to let you you know, respond to this, is that why did Jacob Blake 
get perceived as a threat when i when i've seen a bunch of articles that he had a knife i haven't seen one article that confirmed he had a knife but then people are I think people, when they do their opinion, they was like, he's reaching for a knife. Brian Erlacher even said it. Why the NBA stand enough for this person? He was reaching for a knife. But I can't find one article that that suggests he reached for a knife. And if he is truly had a knife, please let me know. I don't want to put out misinformation. Uh, well, from what I read, the police officers allegedly, I don't know. No, they said he had one. They like, yelled they that he had, had one. But I'm saying he didn't they, actually have one. I think it was in the passenger side floor is what they said. But Aras sent me a picture. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know what it was. Yeah, he was in the picture he held, he held something. something but this is, but, but, yeah. yeah, but this is my point, though. He was perceived as a threat with a hypothetical weapon. Right. This young man, first of all, he's 17 years old. So first of all, he's already illegal walking around with a gun. Not necessarily. He's not this okay. So, seventeen-year-old, he puts his hands up. The crowd is yelling to the police officers. He has shot someone. They're chasing him, yelling. He shot someone. He's there, hands up, waiting for the police to arrest him, and they just drive past him. So, what Shar is saying is, why does Jacob Blake seem as a threat, but not this young man? All right. So, the whole Jacob Blake situation. Um, like I, y'all know, when I first came out, I called y'all, mm-hmm. and we had in-depth conversation about how I felt about mm-hmm. what happened. Um, so I'm going to address this this way. It's all hypothetical about if he had a knife or not. Even in the picture that I saw, you cannot make out what it is. So you are not 100% sure what it is. Unfortunately, that department did not have body camera footage. So you won't be able to determine what happened leading up to the aspect of him getting shot. My opinion, and this is just my opinion, he should never made it back to the vehicle. And when I say he should never made it back to the vehicle, I mean they should have went hands-on quicker. They, there's a video of them fighting behind the police car, and then he gets up and he starts walking away. They ch- tased him twice. It didn't work. But at some point, you got to go hands-on again. I don't know if they didn't go hands-on because he had, the, he had a knife, per se, because nobody's ever confirmed or denied he had a knife. And the only people that will be able to confirm that he had a knife would be someone that was out there. So we... I think they did say that they retrieved a knife from the passenger I've, side of the car. I've heard it, but, but I've it, never seen it. But, but, it, but retrieving something from the passenger side of the car... And having it, it, it is different. It, it, yeah. Right, it doesn't... He could when he got back to the car, he could have tossed it to the passenger side. He could have had, but we don't know because there's no video and there's no there's no cooperation from anybody that was out there saying, well, he had a knife in his hand. They they told him to drop it or whatever. We we don't know for sure because there's nobody camera footage and the video, the two videos that I've seen so far, one was on the driver's side of the vehicle when he got back to it and they shot him, and the other one is from a ways down the street. Mm -hmm. So. This is the aspect where body camera footage would come in, would have came into play, and would have been really good to have. Yeah. Now I know it's a smaller department, and being that is a small department, not all small departments carry body cameras because, to be honest, it's expensive. It is highly expensive to have body cameras and to have them function at a high level. The resolution that you want to have them in, the audio and everything that needs to be to go with it, even to charging them, it's highly expensive. It's millions of dollars just to have body cameras. Really? 
So, but that's an expense. It seems like has to be had. I don't. I don't know the but, money situation. Then, I think that, they're getting them now. That, that has, yeah, but it's too late. It's too late now. I'm but saying, that, but that has to do with their budget from their their city council and whoever they have to go to because we we set a budget, we put things out. The city council has to approve or deny it. They can set right. their own budget for us. So like that's how you get money cut from policing or whatever. The city council decides, well, we don't want to put money here, so we're going to take it away and put it someplace else. So I don't know what their budget was, so we can't say that you know they should have had it. I prefer every police department to have it because sometimes it saves you more than it hurts you. But that's on their city council and their city why they didn't have body cameras, which means at some point in time, your politicians really failed you in the aspect. Um, this may be, uh, um, be a dumb question. I'm in this this game at the time I had. Could there be a federal law? Although I know this is on a citywide or citywide level, but could there be a federal law that's in, enacted that provides funding for various cities to be able to afford body cams since it's something that most cities, depending on the size, may not be able to afford. That that would have to that would have to be sent up to federal government to decide, and then that's going to interact. Your, that's going to impact your taxes. Because it's an addition to taxes. So I mean, I think that that's important, but I think the real issue is here is that what's the discrepancy? So I guess in our mindset, we want to understand why. If we look at some videos that have surfaced lately, we can see why. Um, individuals that are interacting with police officers like I literally saw one guy they were like going at it rolling mm -hmm. on the ground not one shot fired another one the guy was in a very big truck yeah. stepping out of the truck yelling and getting in the face of the guy and I'm like okay not one single shot was was now done. you say that I can also show you videos with black people going at it with officers and they don't get shot so it's it, it, this, for every video you have, I can show you a video to show you the, the opposite. But that's not the point. I, I don't want to get in, mixed into that. That's not where I want to be. Jesus Christ, man. In this, I'm sorry. He's <laughs> a very popular man. But I mean, I know it's not tip for tap, but let's just be honest. If we look at the facts, and that's what we need to stick to so we don't get too far in a rabbit hole. Right, we look at the facts. Black people are incarcerated more than any other race in the United States. And we make up less of the population, right? 13%, somewhere around yes. there. But like 40% of the people that are incarcerated are black people. So we come into contact a lot more than most other people. And our interactions are different. Whether you want to pull a video and I pull a video, that's one thing. But the interaction and the perception of black people is very different in the eye of a police let officer. Me, let me step in before you answer that question. Um, because it's an example, and I think it's important. I wrote it down. Um, do you know who Masson Jerry is? No. All right. So he is, he works for the Toronto Raptors. He's, I believe oh, he's the, the president no, yeah, of the yeah, Toronto yeah, Raptors. Yeah, 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 the GM of the Toronto yeah, yeah. So um, for people who don't know. You're talking about when you went to the Golden State. Yeah, I'm about to explain it to the people. So the people who don't know, at the NBA Finals, after Toronto Raptors won the championship, he was trying to celebrate with his team. He was on the body cam video, shows him about to bring out his credentials to the police officer. He then pushes him twice. Mm -hmm. 
So we're saying with the interaction, like this guy is the GM of the Toronto Raptors. Is anybody he put together that team? He 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 made the trade, signed those players, drafted those players. If anybody deserves to be on the court, it's him. And still, in his interaction, and not only the funny thing about that is the police officer tried to sue him. He's this video only came out because he did a counter lawsuit. So we're seeing like. People with uh, Brian Windhorst, who is a journalist of ESPN, he was on ESPN when they talked about this. He said you have to have certain credentials to get on the court. Brian Windhorst said he did not have those credentials. He walked on the court. Nobody stopped him. Of course, he's a, Brian Windhorst is a white guy. So, again, to what EJ, see, I did it there. EJ's <laughs> um, point is, is that it's perceived that we are a threat. Were violent, um, like that officer would not have treated Massim Jerry if it wasn't for if he was a white guy, he wouldn't have did that. So I guess before he even answers that, are we treating this as a black cop, white cop thing? In terms of, no, like, think, in other words, would Rodden have handled that differently if he was the, you know, what I'm saying? I don't absolutely, know, I think I think Rod would have handled that differently, absolutely. Okay. Because it's, tr- it's basically saying, black man with the nice suit, you still don't belong here. I got you. So, at the end of the day, you're just still black. Yeah, you're still a, first Yeah, time. and why are you here? I mean, so, okay, so let's talk about this. Law enforcement made up of people, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And people are still going to be people in or outside of a uniform. Right. And it doesn't matter, even at your own job, people are going to be racist there. Right. So, okay. my thing is... Well, the only thing is the people, racist people in my job is people's well, I, lives I, not in danger. I get and I get it. I understand it. And the thing is, it's like people are still people. People have their own views about life. They grew up a certain way and they're going to still think a certain way. Right. Mm-hmm. There, there's no magical way to know what a person is going to think or what they're going to do. Anybody can lie to you on the application process. Anybody can lie to you on the interview. So it... It sucks and it's really hard and, and this is the part that really gets me is because I know good officers of both black and white races mm-hmm. and to see someone do something outside of the norm that I know certain people wouldn't do it's like man like you just fucked us it's like so all this stuff that happens is like so like even with this, with what happened with Jacob Blake, the first thing that we all said was like, "Damn, you just fucked us." Now we got to go out here and deal with these crowds and deal with people throwing shit at us, throwing bottle water bottles, throwing bricks, shooting fireworks, doing all types of stuff stuff at us because of what you did. Mm-hmm. Right, but it's not even just one incident, though. It's just a history of lots of yeah. But I was gonna like a lot of people are just but, getting. I was going to ask, do you feel like, because when these situations happen, the first thing I see, before I even know what the situation is, cops, uh, cops, friends that we know are on Facebook defending this. Mm-hmm. Do they, are, do you think cops feel obligated to kind of just already go to their fellow policemen's defense? Well, um, again, just my opinion. I like to wait for the facts. I'm not going to go either way. I don't like to go either way on on most subjects. I like to see what happens first because I know at any given time anything can happen and you can be perceived as 
being a bad guy and then they release the body camera footage and you're like well, see I did what I had to do so some people on both sides everybody jumps to conclusions mm-hmm. no, that. everybody yeah. jumps to conclusions on both sides nobody wants to sit back and really wait and see how it's going to play out and see the evidence that complies to go with it so you can make an educated argument either way and so to jump on either side without full evidence is reckless right okay and and so and i almost say this i was guilty of that i'm guilty i'm i'm still guilty of it because when the jake and blake thing happened i was i was upset by what happened and i called one of our fire brothers like one of the first person i called was hobson shout out to the Oh, Woken Restless Podcast. So, and his podcast is more political than ours, and they really dive into stuff like that. So we had, we uh, I didn't call, we text because we talked about two different um, instances that happened. We happened. We talked about the Louisiana shooting, and which, we also talked about Wisconsin. Which I want to add that no one media wise is covering the Louisiana incident, right? And which is interesting to me. Maybe because that one's more one sided. I mean, because yeah. well, you think know, about it. No, I'm getting to it. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's not as controversial as the yeah. the yeah. Kenosha shooting. Yeah. So my aspect from the whole situation, seeing the full first video, was like I said before, they should have went hands on. Point blank, period. He should never gotten back to the car. Should have went hands on. You're never going to be right in this job by public view. They're always going to see you do something, and not everybody in the public is going to see you as being right. Let me say that. You're going to jump in, you're going to do something, and everybody's not. Some people won't agree with it. But at the end of the day, in that situation, he wouldn't have been paralyzed, and you would have to have a different conversation, per se. Um, so to answer your question, Daryl, people have strong opinions on both sides. And we just go to each other's corners. You go to the corners, yeah. And we start battling it out instead of talking or waiting for the full facts. But, and I guess that's to expand on that because I don't want this to turn into a white-black issue because I can honestly say that we do have white allies who do um, agree with our position in terms of they feel like there is truly um, issues with how black people um, interact with policemen. Um, However, what's frustrating is that it does seem like, to your point, everyone runs to their corners whenever something happens. And it always always seemed like it's straight down the um, racial line. So I can never understand, from my perspective, why white people just cannot see the issues that's happening as just wrong. They can't because the the funny thing is that if there was, let's say, in in your neighborhood right now, a lion was just prowling the neighborhood, right? They would try to do every humane at first way to capture this lion, right? Yeah. You don't know what the lion did. We also we know the lion is pretty dangerous, but they're gonna try every humane thing. If somebody just came out and just shot the lion. They be in an uproar about it. <laughs> they be like, Peter would be like going crazy. And we're sitting here like, no, that's still the same kind of 
we just want to be equal even to that to the yeah. lion because we're saying that you this thing is dangerous but you're gonna tranquilize or you're gonna try to do everything possible to make, sure it stays alive. to make sure it stays alive but for some reason it doesn't seem like us as black people kind of get that same treatment and so, i think part of the thing is that a, a lot of transparency is lost with police uh and law enforcement i think that the public doesn't understand like most of the time the issue with the cases for these uh instances or high profile cases is that like the police officers are well within their right like they're most of the time their actions align with what is legally mm-hmm. acceptable for their job title and i think that there's a lot of a lot of education that needs to be done there and i think there also should be some reform in that respect but i think that's why people are jumping into either parts of the conversation because they don't really understand like i don't i don't even understand so i always do try to come from like a perspective of okay well i understand what happened it pisses me off like why does this happen what are some of the things that we can look for what are the some of the things that we need to be having discussions about so that people understand when we're interacting with police officers that this can be perceived as a threat or if you're doing this this can be perceived as a threat so we can have different outcomes also how can we work with law enforcement so that when they're policing in our communities like there's a better interaction so we have better conversations and outcomes in the future i would say after having a conversation with rodden um, and I never thought of it this way until I heard him say it, is that we could have as much police reform, because I'm all for police reform, but we could have as much police reform as we want, but it won't matter if the laws on the books are still the same. And Well, isn't that what the reform is about? Yeah, changing the, the law? Not necessarily, because you never mentioned anything about law. Everything you mentioned was about policemen making their changes and us interacting with policemen. Well, but you never mentioned anything regarding changing the law. Well, that was well, that's just one thing. That's that's one thing to educate people. I think that's a, a, if we talk about police reform, we can't talk about police reform without talking about laws. That that would just be asinine to say, okay, police reform. Let's talk about interacting with people. Like that obviously is a. But I don't so, think so that everyone. So yes, I, don't think, I, I think, think like you the do, laws, but I don't think everyone thinks about changing law when they speak about police reform. So yeah. that's my thing. Yeah. It's like okay, so. We can do police reform, but we have to do criminal justice reform, period. I mean, and that's a that, part of it. That, yeah. That's what has to be done. I mean, the whole system. The whole, yeah, we I mean, laws that are on books, we, we have to really look at them and evaluate laws that are on the books from 1800s. Year that, that have not changed. That haven't changed <laughs> in year 2020. Right. So, I, I mean, I could walk down the street and see you cheating on your wife and lock you up. Yeah, that's that's yeah, that's, that's hilarious. Carol is excited. Yeah, about yeah, yeah. Excited. About this one. I just want to see somebody get arrested for cheating. On, on, <laughs> on, on, yeah, for those, I just want to physically see it, and then I'm fine with it. Then so, we can change. So my off. thing is with that, like, like we've had conversations. Me and right. EJ have a lot of conversations. And They're always and heated. Always heated. Because he always <laughs> never understands what I'm trying to get him to answer. Right. And he answers a completely separate question. Because most of the times when you ask me a question you want a black and white answer and there's no black and white no, I want answer. an explanation I can't give you an explanation to every instance because circumstances are depicted by the person inside of that circumstance but if I guess I'm, that's our problem I gotta break that down because okay. so, if I'm in that because if I'm in that circumstance I handle things differently than Morris will handle that situation right. so it, there's no one train of thought for policing 
because everybody's emotions are different and you perceive things differently because of who you are. So I don't see things the same way that you will see things. We can go in, we can go in a simulator and they can put a scenario on, I'm going to react different than you're going to react. And, and, that's, that. and that's without so, any type of training. Like, so say, and like, just to give context to this conversation, I was asking him, because I was seeing a video, I can't remember what the video was, and I was like, well, Rada. No, it was a, with the, when the guy got shot with the rubber bullets. Yeah. With yeah, the yeah, rubber yeah, bullets yeah, by yeah. his kid. Again, yeah. another instance where kids are really kids are involved. Pro- yep. proximity. Right. And I was like, okay, so what would make the police, I was asking about what would make the police officers shoot? He had his hands up. It kind of seemed like he was maybe complying. The video, of course, didn't have audio when I sent it to him, which Mm -hmm. he said that that's important for context. But looking at the video, I'm like, okay, so if I'm looking at this video, can you tell me what are some things that might be a general, like, good practice? And he's like, I can't tell you because everyone's going to, like, react different. I'm like, I mean, but if I'm telling, like, for instance, I'm like, okay, so I'm telling my nephews, like, when you're acting with police officers, don't do this because this might be a threatening thing. Yes, it might be a little bit different for every single person, but what are the X ABCs of, like, police interaction? Like, and he was like, I can't tell you. That was the context of that conversation. Yeah, so I didn't, it was like, <laughs> I can't give you the ABCs of policing because everybody perceives things differently. Like, for instance, in Georgia, it's legal to have a gun in your car, right? So me personally, I separate the person from the firearm. Or it depends, or sometimes I might just still leave them in the car, but keep a good eye on them and have a good conversation. Somebody totally different, can perceive that totally different and do things totally different to how I would do it. I, I mean, it, it's, it's all about perception and how they come across. So, it's, so with that video, I needed the audio to give you an exact answer for that specific scenario. You were disconnected, though. Like, but, I'm not asking you to no, tell me no. about police, and I'm asking you to tell, give advice to a young man on when they interact with police officers, what are some things they probably should not do? Because that would make the situation escalate. That's kind of the point reference I was coming from. My only thing about that would make anything escalate is arguing. Okay. Arguing is always going to put somebody on. You also told me about like body, like body language, posturing, so, and stuff like that. So again, with the rubber guy with the rubber bullets, he was laying on the ground, hands up, and I believe not the first time he shot him, but the second time he was on the. Yeah. So it's like, at what? Why would they shoot him? Even with rubber bullets, kids around, just like EJ said, why? Why would they even do that? Okay, so when I finally listened to the audio, they were giving him verbal commands to come back to them. And he wouldn't move. That's and that's why they shot him the second time to give him for compliance. So it, it, it's more of it's, it's a tactic that is used to put you at a disadvantaged situation where I can keep control of the situation. So, so you're it, saying even though he's laid on the ground, hands up, that's still, y'all don't have control of the situation. He, I still don't have because okay. So for instance, if I leave from where I'm at to walk towards him. I still don't know what he may have on his person. And all it takes is a quick second. Huh. That's true. I mean, I get that. And so, like, I believe I'm starting to live that, like have to think that way. I right. get that. So for him, when they, in that instance, they wanted him to crawl back to him where they can, you know, somewhat keep control of that situation. From seeing his hands, seeing his movements, and seeing what he may do in that situation. So uh, that that's why it was important for me to hear the audio because if I'll just watch it, I'm like... But do you feel like that was just a little too much? 
Me? I don't think they gave him enough time to comply. Okay. That's how I feel. Okay. So I don't know how they perceived it in that instance, right. but I feel... And I'm not asking you to tell, like, because you can't speak for other cops. Right. So in that in that situation, I, I didn't feel they gave him enough time to comply to crawl gotcha. backwards. That's like the same thing with tasing somebody. You tase somebody, they lock up, you got to give them enough time to come out of that lock. Right. So they can put their hands behind their back. I think but sometimes when adrenaline is going, you it forget. just goes. You forget and you just goes really quickly. So, um, so for instance, so giving you an aspect of how to interact with the police, I, I, there's no ABC. I, I mean, I prefer you. If you don't argue, maybe. But then, but see, but that's but the then, problem. But then that's the thing. You don't know how that person. So then we should be on guard every single time because. Cause you did you but see the video the with like, the one guy that was? I think we're going the wrong, um, wrong direction. Yeah, I think we're going the wrong direction with this because I kind of get what he's saying. Like all of us in here would probably respond in a proper manner in terms of trying to respond to the police. From Rodden's perspective, the part that I think we don't want to recognize is that there are people. Who out are out there with the intent to harm, and there's no way to differentiate those people. I'm not saying it's fair. I'm just saying it's a reality. So it makes his job harder, but it also puts all of us at being discriminated discriminated against as well. And I don't know what's the best solution to that. You know what I'm saying? So it's like. But I, I, I think that's to his point. He was saying that we should always we should always be on defense. Guard. Then, yeah. to be honest, I'm I'm a police officer. I'm always on guard. Yeah. But the, I, 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 but I feel like we're not helping the situation. If <laughs> right. both sides are on defense now, no, no, now we're just uh, open uh, for something outside, to happen. Outside of being a police officer, when okay. I'm driving down the street as a black man, I'm always on guard because I don't know how I'm, the other person is going to interact with me. Yes, that's yeah, what I'm saying. Isn't that nerve? That's nerve wracking. It is. I mean, I get it. I understand. That's what I'm saying. I'm trying to come to you on both sides. I understand being frustrated with wanting a direct answer of how to interact with law enforcement. But I can't give you that exact answer. And then nobody can give you that exact answer of how to, quote unquote, interact with law enforcement on a daily basis because you don't know how that person is going to perceive you. Or your actions. So now, this is where it comes to the part of excessive force or whatever. You have certain facts that you go off of, factors that you go off of. So, for instance, the Kenosha shooting. Mm -hmm. When he got back to that vehicle and he went inside that vehicle, now you don't know what he has in that vehicle. And that's what sent them into that response. Only one officer shot. Yes. But he one also tugged he the at one. the shirt at the last minute. He like, had he his had... shirt and shot. Yeah. yeah. So it's like. So he's pulling him back and um, Mr. Blake is pulling towards the car and that he starts shooting him. That's where it gets. That's I feel like that's where you like. The most I get it because the unknown is it, what, what, so is what exactly we're looking known. at. If we're looking at and we're looking and assessing from a police eye, what you're saying is the unknown is what I'm going to react from. Yes. Because at the end of the day, my life is on the line as well. Yes. Right. And I, I can understand that to a point. Right. right. So after 
the first shot, maybe even a second shot. Like, but three, four, five, six, and seven. Like, so I'm gonna tell you a person's not. I'm gonna tell you something right now. If you are, if you are allowed to shoot one time, you can shoot a hundred. If you are justified to shoot once, you can shoot a million. That that's the whole thing. It's that's you are trained to shoot until the threat is stopped. So, and you're trained to shoot center mass. A lot of people talk about shooting in the leg, shooting in the arm. That takes precision shooting, it takes time and practice to do it. In a high stress situation, you are not going to be able to do that. And if you shoot somebody in the leg, there's a main artery that you can rupture and that person can still die. So, that's every, there's lots of arteries. Yeah, but what you're saying, and, and when you make that comment, so close. we argue about you shoot until the threat is gone, and even that's subjective. Yeah. So, does that mean dead? Does that no, mean no. normally it the means guys normally incapacitated? It means, like it normally, mean, when it says shoot to the threat is gone, it means that a person's on the ground. It doesn't mean that that person is dead. It doesn't it just means that he's on the ground, and now you're back in an advantageous situation where you can control that situation. It doesn't always. It doesn't always mean dead. So, so go ahead, finish real quick. So that's the aspect that comes into it when a lot of people talk about like you know why he didn't just shoot him one time. On adrenaline and all that stuff, you don't know what that person is going to do. And that's how you're taught to shoot to the threat is, is down. And it doesn't always mean dead. It just means that they're, that you're back in control of the situation. So what can you talk about what is the training of de-escalating the situation? Like, Do, do y'all go through like training? Do y'all go to situations? I only talk about my department. Yeah, speak on it. Uh, yeah. We talk about de-escalation. Um, the, biggest, the biggest thing is always trying to assess the situation and make an educated decision in that time of what would be the less lethal option at that moment. Now, you can go to 60, but, if that can, but at some point you got to bring it back down to zero. But it's, explain what... So going, so going from zero to sixty is like going from a common situation. Then you go, you escalate it up to the highest, highest level, which is probably having a gun out. At some point in time, you got to try to get it back down to zero. Um, de-escalation is always you try to talk it out. You try you, you can try to de-escalate with your weapon out. You try you always talk like, hey man, don't do that, don't do that. Show me your hands, do this, do that. You give them direction. Now, if they don't start complying, then you have a decision to make. You have to determine that's in that situation, what is your best option? What is your next move? Right. So, um, sometimes when you have your weapon out, you, you can try to hold them at gunpoint or whatever, or low ready, which is, you know, you have your gun down a little bit. And you wait for a second unit or help to get there, and then you go to another option, as a, being a taser or somebody going hands-on or something like that. But you, your biggest thing is always trying to talk and being verbal and giving commands and trying to get them to comply to your commands without having to use any type of force. And you're saying that each department does this differently, basically? Yeah, I mean, most... Departments that I know of teach de-escalation de or 
trying to get compliance without using force. But it's not always feasible. And I don't know every department in the country how they do things. And is this in your department something that did they do annually? Or is this just like when you're doing your initial training? No, we, we do it annually. We go to in-service every year. And we, and we also have to take a de-escalation class for Gypsy. Oh, a de-escalation class. It's five hours long. And it's boring. That's interesting. That sounds like it should be more. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting. How do you feel about the term defunding the police? And I'll let all of y'all speak on this as well. Defunding, uh, I don't believe it's the best way to do things. Uh, if you start defunding the police, then you start having departments do shortcuts, which means there's less training, less community programs, less officers. So it's, it's not, I don't believe it's the right way to go. Now, we start talking about criminal justice reform, then that's something I am full-heartedly agree with. Because I feel the only way you can make the change is really looking at, taking a deep look at these laws and seeing what is feasible for the year 2020 and beyond. We can't police the same way that we police in the 1800s. We can't police the same way we police in 1990. We can't police the same way we police in 2000. We can't police the same way we police in 2010. So. If everything that changes and evolves in life, we have to start looking at ways to evolve with it. No, absolutely. And so defunding wouldn't help that. I believe defunding would hurt that. So you believe that uh, defunding the police, which means taking unnecessary resources to police the police department and reverting them somewhere else, as in communities, um, to potentially stop people from being criminals. So what's unnecessary though? I mean, I don't know. I don't do the I don't do the fun, so right, I don't so know. I don't that's know. that that's the thing. Like you you have to tell me why it's unnecessary. What do you feel is unnecessary and how is it unnecessary? No, I'm just I'm just no, to the I, public explaining. No, like, I, I get what you're saying. That's that's what I'm saying to like to the public would be what do you think is unnecessary? Also, I just heard that we just earlier had I guess for me I don't even know what defunding at this point means anymore because we just had a conversation about Kenosha where the department couldn't afford to have body cams. But then at the same time, we we're talking about allocating resources that may or may not be there depending on what part of the, part, the country or which police department you're looking at. So at this point, I think we all have an understanding of what defund the police means, but I think it's overall more of a political jargon now than truly doing the overall analysis of what it means to create an overall system that works throughout our country. Um, I, I mean, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. I just think that no one really truly have a true plan, period, of what it takes to make sure that we as Americans, both black, white, or whatever, can live in a society where we truly are safe. And I mean, I would disagree. I think that there's there's lots of communities that are not really noted for their work in um, crime, namely Chicago. Chicago has 
multiple programs that are really targeted about toward putting resources back into those communities that do not have, which we know that violence is usually attributed to the lack of opportunity. Um, I mean, there's so many examples of, of communities doing that. I don't think that in general, black people really want to defund the police. I can't speak for all black people. I will speak for myself. I think when we say defund, we're saying more of less presence, less of a presence there, meaning not being over-policed, right? Because I think that the feeling is that we're over-policed, we're over-engaged, and we would like for it to be a, be a community that we feel safe in. I don't think that Black people feel safe in communities that are over-policed, but we have to also talk about other things. And I think when Daryl was talking about defunding and allocating resources, I think we need to start thinking about adding programs in, number one, for people that have non, non-violent offenses that have to re-enter into society after years of being incarcerated and they have no opportunities, right? So when you get out of jail, it's not going to be easy for you to get a job. It's not going to be easy for you to kind of reestablish yourself in society. We need to start gearing resources toward programs that are, which we show are successful with, what do they say, what do they call it, um, reforming yes. uh, repeat offenders. Um, of course, I feel like there are some types of you know, offenses or some types of like crime that happen that are more geared toward like a mental condition or mental health, which you're not necessarily going to be able to reform. But the ones that we can, a vast majority of them, I feel like there's not the resources there to kind of set them on the right path. So that is one of the things. You just mentioned Chicago. So do you feel like Chicago have too many resources or not enough resources? I feel like they have resources that they're, I feel like they're doing something. So the biggest thing for me is that black people always try to say, oh, well, black people aren't even doing things in their own community to try to combat this. And then they bring up black on black violence. And that's the whole like other side of the conversation. We talk about needing to do police reform and all of that. Those are two completely different conversations. No way am I going to be able to go up to a blood or a crip and say, hey, don't be violent anymore, right, in my community. Don't sell drugs in my community. Those, those, are, those are not, like, laws or, you know, things that can be changed easily, right? So when we have those things, that is a completely separate conversation than when we're talking about reform, we're talking about reentry programs, we're talking about laws, we're talking about, you know, the interaction between police officers. There's two different conversations that require two different ways of approaching it. But at the same time, those re- the, 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 the items that you're calling out require resources. So you can't separate black on black crime and I'm just and reform because in Chicago specifically, black on black on crime still exists. And just and because of that, you need resources to deal with that. So that's why I asked the question. I, I agree with the concept of having resources available to better your community. But the conversation we're having in terms of as a as a country right now is defunding the police from the angle of reallocating what's assumed to be resources that are being overused or in one area 
and reallocating them somewhere else. But I think the question that no one's asking is, are there enough resources there to even begin with? Okay, well, so I, mean, I, got, <laughs> I got like one thing I want to yeah. um, go back to that you said. You talk about over-policing. Mm -hmm. right? Police are put into areas determined on, stat on stats and statistics. So violent crime, if violent crime is up in the area, then there's going to be more police presence. That's how stats are worked. That's how policing has worked. It's reactive, not proactive. So if crime is up in a certain area, you're going to allocate more officers in that area to combat that crime. Right, and so, I and I understand that dynamic. But if I look at it from the grant, is it working? Is there less crime? Uh, are there less interactions hey, with black? Like I these mean, are the these are things we also have to think about. That's what I'm saying. Over policing doesn't okay. equate a good. But it's not over policing. It's aggressive, but it's not over policing because as soon as that crime goes down in that area, then they move to another area, and that that's the thing. Police isn't proactive. It's all reactive. We react off of what the stats are going to be and what is going to happen. Going to happen. So. It's, I think it was Kamala Harris that I believe I remember her in a speech. Police's job shouldn't just be to react to crime that's on the streets. They should also be geared towards like proactively like trying to stop it from happening. So the right. only way to do that is to create programs and reinforce a great positive or until, positive connection. But until that happens, what do you do? You just let you just let them No, and prime, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying the approach is off. It hasn't worked. Right. For all the years that we've now, had now it, I get, that approach I get what hasn't you're saying. Worked. The approach is off, but you have to put a plan in place to gradually have that reform in that area that you need. So when you start putting a plan in place or have a, a concrete plan and you're going to do what you need to do, then you can gradually move police out of that area or stop over, in quotation marks, over policing. That, that's, all, that's what I'm saying. Like, you can't just say, well, they're over policing and we're going to take them out. No, that's <laughs> not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is come up with a better solution because you just putting police, more police officers on the street hasn't worked. But well, what's the plan for that? The, I don't know. That's something the police officers that, should. That has that, nothing to do with the police. That's not the police but department. Your job, yeah. But your but that's job not, is to eliminate our, crime, right? Right, but that's not our our job is to stop crime, right, from happening. But but you uh, can't the always that, be the people to the people that put in place programs are your politicians and your council members. Those are the ones that need to interact those programs and allocate money into that area to help you combat crime and the way that crime is done in that area. But don't so you think that if we that- We can't if put money into something we don't have. We get money from the city. I, I'm not saying, I, my whole thing about defunding has nothing to do with taking money from police officers or at all. My, we have to figure out how to, we have to figure out that, I, I mean, I'm not a politician, I'm not a statistician, I don't, I'm not any of that. But what I do see is that there's an issue. Number one, I feel like it's over-policing. At, at the end of the day, I feel like there's too much of a presence of police without actual actual programs being implemented to help those people. No opportunities there. So no how is that the police problem? That. How did, how did we cause that issue? If 
the if you're a part of that problem, if the part of the problem is the police, should they not be involved in the equation to create a solution? So well, if you have politicians, have the power, have the power but if you have, have politicians cops. creating programs, do you not? So think the police that, athletic league and the community oriented policing aren't programs that are put in place to help the community. Is what you're saying? What I'm saying is there's not enough opportunity. There's not enough programs. There's not enough consistency. But that's not on the police side. And I'm not saying that. I'm saying what I'm saying is, and I think you're missing my point. I think that police involvement is crucial. It is absolutely needed. Oh, yes. Politicians create those programs, allocate resources. They do the structure of it. It also should be the police's job and opportunity to also align with those and and have that presence. And I totally agree with you. We don't see the politicians day to day. We see police officers. So my thing is, with that being said, then you would need more money okay, in the police man. budget. Yeah, hold, on, hold on, hold on, yeah. hold on, hold on. But that's oh. not my, my that's not my point. But I no, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm telling yeah. you, you would need more money in the police budget for officers to be out there and get engaged with the community in the way that they would need to get engaged with. Which means you need to hire more officers so that when those officers go out there and get involved in the community, they are able to enforce city, state, and federal state, city, and state law. So. We, I have no problem with you saying we should be more engaged in the community. I am 100% with that. 100%. But it's hard for officers to do that, which I know several officers love to do it, because we had a wonderful program in the city of Atlanta that was spearheaded by officers that went around to barbershops called Cops and Clippers, and it went around to the neighborhoods, and they did it on their own, and they spoke to the community. They did that. They chose to do that on their own without the help of the department or without the city. Okay, so if you want it to be a more of a majority thing, it's going to it's going to cost you money. And I'm not, and I don't have an issue with defunding. My thing has never been defunding. Well, my issue has never said that we can't. We are we're going to be able to do this without money. So I I mean, maybe you're right. So that's not, but that's not my point. No, I, I get your point, and that's why I was saying I'm just explaining to your point what would needed in that point. But I get what you're saying. Like coming, we needed to really align with the community and get to know our community. Right. That more community oriented policing, like back in the '70s, when we first were able to be allowed on police departments, that's what we did in our community. We community policed our community. We spoke right. to our everybody. We know all the grandmothers and all that stuff. We got away from that. That's the thing. And that's what I'm saying. There's not that interaction. And, and, and that's that, what I'm saying. And that's what we need. Be, and I know. agree. All right, so I'll let Shaw talk to us. I think, what I, what think, I think we're still at a disconnect. Because from what I heard from your conversation, you don't believe that there's over-policing. That there's over-policing. I believe there is. So, so, the next, so my question is, so do you believe... Cops are intentionally going into these communities looking for crime. I can't say that I know that, but I what can I? I mean, I can't speak for a police officer. I'm not a police officer. I don't know. Are there probably some people that are looking for people to lock them up? Absolutely. Are there also great cops that do a great job? Absolutely. So I can't. Really but the reason why I'm saying that the in the term to say that you're over policing would imply that you're putting police officers in communities. To intentionally look for individuals, whether innocent or guilty, of doing something wrong. From what Rawdon is saying, is that his, most of his policing is reactive and not proactive. Is that safe to 
I mean, policing itself is reactive. Yeah. But to your point, there are units that are placed into areas to do proactive policing as in to reduce crime. But yeah. that's determined by the stats that are given every week or every month or 28 days. Okay. So let me keep going. So I think the disconnect is, and what I said earlier, is how our country has defined the definition of, I said defined definition, have defined defunding the police. And maybe I'm wrong, but it seems that everyone is assuming that the resources that are currently available within a, ra- a random police station, they have more than enough resources, but those resources are being used in the wrong way. And then based off the conversations I've heard, it seemed like that's not the case. It seemed like they're already underfunded. Yeah, but that, seems like hold on, let me get on this. Fun. No, uh, but also you need to look, like anything, policing, it's an issue with policing. What, and this is what EJ was saying. It's an issue with policing. Now, over-policing, it, to me, is like over-parenting. So if we over-parent a kid, what, how is that kid going to turn out? If we over-parent, over-bearing, every move they make, they have no ounce of freedom, how are they going to come out? But I don't think that's a good example. Those no, it's, it's a great like, example. Because huh? when, the, when the police officers come into these communities and they view, because of these high-crime areas, like you said, they become over aggressive to the citizens right. in those communities. So even somebody who's not a criminal who's just there is getting the same treatment as a criminal would. So what I'm saying is, regardless if they're funded or not, there is an issue there. Right. So because there's an issue there, everything should be looked at. And I'm not even talking about just police. I'm talking definitely the laws, the politicians, but police are not, the citizens need to be looked at as well. But the police are under that umbrella as well. So I'm, so when they say, for me, when I hear defunding the police, and I'm not for defunding the police, right. it's an overview of that to make sure the right funds are going to the right place and they're using them appropriately. Like, we've seen them defund schools. That has not worked. Yeah, yeah correct. Yeah. So defunding to me doesn't work. But we do need to take a look at to act like we don't need to take a look at it. Just like we're going to, you know, because Chicago is always the thing that we bring up in like every place is Chicago. But to act like it's just the citizens and all black people are animals and they need to be over police is kind of the viewpoint that we're getting. No, everybody needs to be looked at the the like I said, and I'll let you talk in a sec. At the beginning of what I said, the police also have to atone for their sins in this. Go ahead. Well, we cannot, before you reply, and don't forget what you say, I just wanted to respond to, he said, over-policing. And again, over-policing doesn't necessarily mean that they're just locking up multiple people or they're proactively putting people in there. It's like he said, it's just the presence there, right? Like you, in some places, I don't feel like you need more presence of police in those areas. It's already heavily trafficked. There's already a lot of presence. There's already a lot of interaction with people. And like you said, like, Everyone then becomes a suspect, right? If you're putting these police officers in an area where you feel like there's a lot of crime, people are already generally naturally going to think, okay, well, there's more crime in that area, so I need to be on alert for everyone is essentially a criminal, right? Like, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? So my question, so okay, so I feel like there's that's what I'm what I'm saying. Over policing, that's a part of it. So, okay. That's how you feel about that, right? So now, may I ask a question? What about the seven-year-old grandmother that got her house broken into 12, 12 times? 
and she's calling to her city council talking about we need more police presence out here. I got my house broken in 12 times. My neighbors got their house broken into. What are you doing about it? And then that city councilman goes to the mayor and complains about his district. And then the mayor comes to the police chief. And the police chief goes to her deputy chief. And the deputy chief goes to the major of that zone. And then goes to the captain. And the major goes to the captain and goes to the lieutenant and be like, what are you doing to combat this in this area? Because this person is complaining about this. So then now he has to come up with a plan to have more police officers in that area to deter that crime. But do you, so, need, more, do you need more police in that area or do you need to be more strategic in how you, uh, how you are putting where you're putting police? But that's the, that's the thing. is it's, exactly. it's all about being strategic. It's also having police in a certain area and during a certain time to do certain things. Right. And then you, which is going to constitute as... Over policing no, because it's going to be the same. It's going to be the same amount of people that would normally be in that zone that patrol that area, and then you're going to have extras to do strategic work. So, so it's going to seem like over policing, but it's really just reacting to a stat, and then that's how everything goes trickles downhill. Somebody complains, it goes to the higher level, comes right back down, and then you push numbers. Because everything is as a no, like every other like every job, this is a numbers game. Right. Everybody wants their zone to have the least amount of of, um, of crime. They wanted to be like the lat. They wanted to beat last year and say it's less of crime in this area than it was last year. And then the own and that whole process covers what we consider over policing. Yeah, but I don't think that's our definition of over policing. Just presence of. I think once they're there, like most people don't mind the police if they're doing their job at all nobody minds so what's their job that to find criminals no what i'm saying what we're saying is when you put more police when regular sit when every citizen starts being treated as a criminal that's what we're saying by over not the actual numbers of police officers but can you look at can you look at someone and tell them that they're criminal or not no Okay. But then you shouldn't. That means you shouldn't treat everybody like just like, and that was but the problem I, with stop and frisk. You but can't you don't treat, do that. But you don't treat everybody like criminal. We we are we are arguing over two symptoms and not looking at what the diagnosis is. And I think that's where we're getting caught up. I think over policing is a symptom. I think the other part, what you're talking about, is a symptom. But we never want to deal with the diagnosis of asking why over policing is needed. At the same time, why is the grandmother house being broken in 12 times? Because both of those are important. Because I think we can't ignore that they're what, not saying that all black... We're not saying black people are animals. Let's clarify that. Yeah. There is a reason in the history as to why these communities are the way they are. We all around the table knows that. The side effects is what we're arguing over right now. And... We can, and that's what we keep doing as a country. We keep arguing about the side effects and do not want to do anything to actually try to fix the problem. Like we talk, like we talk about Atlanta. Atlanta has been run by who over the past sixty years? It's been our own. So while we sit here and talk about it, what have our own um, politicians done to fix their community? This is our own. These are black in politicians running this city. So the question is, if we know what they need, why haven't the laws and the protocols been put in place to fix that issue? I mean, I think that it's really like not just something that can happen locally. Like 
a local just I mean, yeah, you might have pockets that have reform happen in in certain areas, but in a large scheme of things, if the overall law of the country isn't changing, you can't expect that there's going to be a big change in every single city in the country. Well, I mean, I but what are we in, doing to change those laws? But more importantly, right, not, that, and that's, I mean, that's, I mean, that's I'm, and I'm not, I'm talking about us as black people. What are we doing to change those laws? When we go to the polls in November, are we just voting for the president or are we voting on every level for someone that's going to represent you correctly in your area and help you do reform in your area and beyond? Are we, or are we just going to vote for Biden or whoever and then all of a sudden when nothing changes, we get mad again? Or that's the thing that we also all have to look at. Historically, we do not turn out for our own council members, Congress, Senate. We do not vote for that. And that's what we need to change our mentality on is starting to vote for that. Start going to council meetings. Start going to state legislation meetings so that we can actually start implementing laws that we believe should be on the books and taking laws off the books. That's what we need to do. That, that, that's something that... It, drastically needs to happen if we really want change that's what we need to do and i and every all three y'all know i talk about i am for police reform because we can't police the same way that we've been policing all the time and that's my point and i don't feel like it's changed and that's why when you're explaining the way that they police in these areas to me you have not changed it and it still doesn't make crime any less and that's what I'm so, saying. I'm not saying that is right. I'm right. saying that is wrong. No, I'm, no I'm just giving that. you. I'm giving you examples right. of why it's done and how it's done. So my thing is, we we have to have to get out there and vote. And I don't mean just vote for the president. We we need to vote for our council members. We need to vote for our judges. We need to vote for our sheriffs. Hell, vote for our coroner. I mean, that, I mean that's true. But Both honestly, yes. yeah, I didn't even that. <laughs> Honestly, like, if you think about voting right now and you think about the political parties, and I don't want to get too far into that, you know, it's not, we're not really political. But can you please tell me a candidate that you feel like sp- speaks to you at a local level? Give me a name of one candidate for any, any local office that you feel speaks directly to you and the issues that you feel are important. Me? Yeah. None. Exactly. That's and that's the, the point. That's the problem. That's. We, we, we aren't seeing candidates that we feel like are are in a direction or saying the things that we want to have. And that's why we have to demand better of them. That's true. We have to demand better of our council, me- council members. We have to demand better of our senators, our state senators. We need to demand them to make... We need to make them hear our voice Are you running and for make them. No, I'm not. Yeah, it sounds like he's running. <laughs> Are you running for uh, mayor? <laughs> no, I'm not running. I'm not. We just write them in. <laughs> yeah, I know I'm not political, but I'm just saying. Like, uh, honestly, this is what we need to do. We need to make them understand that if things are going to get better. We need them to be better for us and not be out here trying to line your own pockets, get fucking contracts from other people and doing all types of dumb stuff. You need to be out here looking out for the people in your community, not from not only the five year old or the 70 year old. You need to look out for everybody in between. If you really want reform for these individuals that get out of jail, you need to start putting these programs in place. And maybe this me just being just negative, but I think. 
politicians want to keep this just from a local level and even from the national level it works if we are all divided and i think that's what we don't realize they want us to not come together because think about if we as a country would come together as one unit and be on one accord like we really can control the world that we want to live in and Absolutely. huh and i know that sounds like we are the world type i mean <laughs> but, it's the truth but, oh, but that's but it's sad i mean because think about what happened we go back to these shootings what happened everyone just runs to their corner and no one could change their opinion about something that we should all be agreeing on that we lost innocent lives you know and mm-hmm. that's something that why are we arguing? About I mean, that? I guess people will argue about yeah. whether the lives are innocent or not, but we know, but we we get that, right. yeah. And yeah. even as an officer, what that person did in their past, uh, you do not know at that moment, right? And you, so at that moment, you have to treat that person like you would treat anybody else, because you don't know what they did in the past, you don't know what they have, you don't know nothing. He could have been a straight A student somewhere. He could have been in law enforcement. He can be anything, but you don't know that at that moment. You didn't know he had a warrant. You don't know that he had a domestic dispute. You know nothing. And I'm just talking in general, yeah. with general conversation. So you're as you're that. I don't like when they bring up the person's past. Yeah, it's like okay, well, he was he's a criminal. Okay, that's how <laughs> he, he did, he did things. In that it. works through the case. Right against the you know when they go for the case for wrongful whatever yeah, see right the media. yeah but yeah. yeah and then it, it, and then it's on the flip side as well law enforcement great when they get into certain situations they bring up how many disciplinary actions they had right. how many encounters they did with this and how many times they got written up but that had nothing to do with the moment but you know why they do it like there's a method to the madness it really is. Because they know as soon as they do it, you know, white, like not all white people, but most, but who they're aiming for, white people are gonna say, well, I guess he deserves it. And then, of course, black folks are gonna go, like, oh my God, how are they gonna try to decriminalize him before he gives a chance to have a fair trial? And that's with, that's with a purpose. Because as long as they keep us separated, there's nothing that we, that there's no reason, like you say, to, for a politician to even try to, um, live up to what they promised on um, their constituents and that's just the reality of it and at this point being a politician just a cushy job for you to collect your check and just um, kick your feet up and then kick your feet up because at this point why do i need to um do um enact change if um people are not demanding that, that i do so so i guess um because we're running long and this is very you know passionate <laughs> conversation but i wanted to end it um, kind of on this, I think, Ro, you said some stuff very powerful, and I want to see how y'all agree with them, because I actually agree the solution is we need to vote. We need to get more involved in the local levels, and we need to, once we elect these people in, like, don't be just excited because, you know, Biden won or whatever. Demand still of him. Mm-hmm. And I want to get y'all's take on this, and we're going to close it out there. Who wants to go first? This voting. Yeah, like, what do you think is the actual solution? I'm sorry, I didn't explain that. But what what would y'all think is the solution then? I think that Rodden hit the nail right on the head when you talked about demanding of your, you know, your politicians at the local levels, the city levels, at all of those def- different levels that we don't necessarily think of because there's your direct impact there, right? The national level, yeah, it's good. It's in the media. It's what we see, but 
the changes happening in our local communities is really largely based on what happens locally. So like that's going to be the solution. I think that that's the way to push the narrative of reform um, in many aspects. Um, and then I also think that we also need to work with police officers so they understand how we like to be policed. And these police officers need to work with us so they can understand the communities that they're serving. So I think we just need to be able to get to a point where we can work together. And I think we'll see some changes. I mean, like I said before, education is the biggest thing. And we need to be educated on both sides. Mm -hmm. You need to understand why officers do what they do. And we need to understand why the community have a healthy fear of us. It, 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 it goes hand in hand. We need to work together. We need to implement things where we can have open and honest conversations and nobody get their panties in a bunch and get upset. Like today. We, we need to be able <laughs> to do these things exactly. because without these conversations, we will get nowhere. Everybody's just going to be in their corners and then nothing will get changed. And then, yes, we have to demand better of our politicians. We definitely have to demand better of them because they come out for shock value. They do a couple of photo ops. They walk the streets, say Black Lives Matter, and then go back home and do nothing to improve the lives of their community. That's my take on it. I don't even know where I want to go with this. Uh, I want to take a moment to talk specifically to the white Trump voter. <laughs> what? Wow, that took a turn. For <laughs> the worst. Uh, and the biggest con that you have been fed through your life is that even though you are poor, living paycheck to paycheck, like every possibly everyone else in the country, you have been tricked to believe that you are somewhat better based off of the color of your skin. While Trump and other politicians are living it on um, having made in the shade, you are still trying to figure out how to pay your light bill. <laughs> Jesus. So, <laughs> with that being said, be smart. Vote for your your interests and listen recall regardless if it's Democrat or Republican, search for the candidate that you feel will truly make an impact on your life. Oh, jeez. Thank, thank you for making it political at the end. <laughs> thank you. I'm sorry. I had to go there. <laughs> I know you wanted or not, but I'm sorry. <laughs> well, well, that's going to do for us tonight. Um, please just let us know what y'all think about this conversation. Um, let us know how y'all feel. Let us know if you guys have an idea about police reform. What does that look like? Uh, do you believe in defunding the police? Just let us know in the comments um, what you guys think, and see y'all next time. Good night. Peace. Lord, have mercy. Yeah. <laughs>